Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always by David Simone as we go through football season this week. It's the battle for the victory bell as the Bearcats travel up I-27 to take on the Red Hawks of Miami. Miami a 5.5 uh, point favorite in this game coming in. And, uh, you know, Dave, when, when you look at this Miami team and you, and you start to break down their statistics and look at what they're going to bring to the table, it's really difficult because one, Marshall returned two kickoffs for touchdowns on them. So their defense is hard to judge a little bit. And then uh, with Austin P, they had a, an injury at quarterback that, that kind of slowed them down in that game as well. A little skewed based on some a couple goofy things that happened in both of their games. In the Marshall game, Marshall took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and then also took another kickoff back for a touchdown. So scoring 26 points total, which doesn't really say much about their offense, but two of those drives obviously never even happened. And then in the Austin P game, I'm not sure the exact timing I know it was seven to seven in the first quarter, second quarter, and it was twenty-one to seven at halftime. Miami was up, uh, but they out or got injured. The uh, running quarterback for Austin P, I believe his name was Javon Craig or something like. And the freshman that played by like one or two drives against UC had to play pretty much the whole second half, and I don't think he really did anything, and it sounded like it totally took Austin P out of the offense we saw for most of the game with basically, you know, almost a triple option uh, attack. And I know at least one or two drives, they had, you know, great success against the field. I know they had several turnovers, whether it was fumbles and also interceptions, but kind of like just a couple weird things that happened in both their uh, first and second game. So I'm not exactly sure what to to make of them. I know you've looked into some of their rawers and that that can be a little tough at games. only two two games in. I mean, yeah, David. The thing is, I look at their numbers and obviously Gus Ragland gets, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of hype uh for the way that, you know, he came in last year, he sparked a, a six-game winning streak, seven-game winning streak with their bowl game. Uh, but he's, I mean, he's only completing 50.7% of his passes, 221 yards a game. But most of that is going to, to wide receiver James Gardner, who's had 114 yards a game. He's got two touchdown passes. He's averaging 17 and a half yards a catch. I mean, that's a situation where, you know, obviously that's a guy that Cincinnati's going to have to shut down. But when you look at Raglan's numbers outside of Gardner, I mean, there's there's not a ton to write home about. It's not something that, you know, ultimately really jumps off the page at you. Yeah, he had two fairly long touchdowns in the Austin P game, I think in the 30-plus, 40-plus yard range. But they're definitely, in my view, a heavy team. Uh, They probably ran the ball quite a bit more in there in the second half. I mean, they've they've run the ball 92 times to only 67 passes. So, yeah, 21 of that is is Raglan um, with some sacks, you know, incorporated in or whatever. But they they've run the ball quite a bit over the first two games. Um, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. 
it looks like I, I guess I just looked at their their actual running back. It's still not that great. It's you know I think their leading rusher is averaging three point one yards a carry, and they have I think two one or two rushing touchdowns. Uh, so I still look at them as more of as being kind of a dual threat guy and having you know Gardner and Jared Murphy and right. a couple and other guys. I... Right. So I th- I think they'll try to throw the ball again. I I think it's been you know Michigan's in kind of an anomaly you know anomaly. I I wouldn't see them lining up and running it the way that Michigan did, but. I don't know. They can be they can be balanced. Like it's just tough to tell. To uh, uh, a season when no, when they've played, you know, the same team UC played in Austin P at home, and then at Marshall scored twenty points um, against the team that you know. I don't think anybody thinks is anything outstanding. I mean, when you're looking at their running game, Alonzo Smith, their their number one back. Uh, actually, 4.1 yards a carry. He's got 72 yards a game, no touchdowns. Um, his longest is uh, 18. And then Kenny Young is their secondary back, 36 yards a game. His longest is 10. He's had uh, 20 attempts, 35 attempts for uh, for Smith. So, uh, I mean, I agree with you. I get what you're saying. I, their running game is not something that they rely heavily on. I just think maybe that you know, they're, they're using it a little bit more than, you know, it, it looks like at first glance. No. Right. They don't number, and, number one. You know, I'm just, I see whether they want to throw or pass. I kind of, I mean, I think both. UC gave up some passes against Michigan that I don't think they would really give up against, you know, any, any other team, frankly, like Miami, uh, Marshall, you know, the teams that they're going to play in the AAC. So I feel just be interesting how they go about attacking UC's defense because their, their front is improved and the linebacking play, I think, has been really good so far this year. And uh, I think the defensive back play, even though even the over-the-top touchdown on the first drive and the, the play to Grant Perry, which was just a good play design, I thought, getting him matched up on – Jalen Miner in some zone got passed off to Miner, and he's a, he's an inside you know, linebacker. He's not meant to cover a slot receiver, and I don't know if there was a bust in the secondary that maybe should have limited the the play and not be you know a forty something yard touchdown. I mean, I'm far from but I like I, it. It also looked like a little slow in switching from he was the inside. he was leaning. Yeah. He was, he was leaning one direction, and Coleman or Grant Perry crossed his face, and he was I think he was a little slow uh, in that. And what I think is interesting, Dave, is how are teams going to attack the Cincinnati defense going forward? Um, yeah, they're a little bit on the, the smaller side with guys like Gilbert and, uh, and Perry Young um, as the outside linebackers, but the defensive front has done a really good job. Uh, Michigan did not, you know, they weren't able to impose their will and just – power their way up and down the football field. But I think they've also done a nice job against the pass. Uh, they've showed the, you know, some of the ability to cover tight ends through the, in the seam and, and, and down the field. Um, it doesn't look to me like a defense that that's really going to be easy to attack uh, as they continue throughout the season. No. And they had a hundred, I think they finished with 193 yards rushing. And one of them was on a 65 yard run where 
he had done a pretty good job, and I think that's the area where the most concern when you do go with a smaller, faster lineup is they they started to run those pitch plays yeah. and get some of the linemen and tight ends out in front, and UC did a pretty good job slowing that down, and then I think it was the third one, Ty Isaac, you know, found a lane on the outside and took it for the 65-yard run, and then... I think they tried it again, and UC did a good job on it. I mean, those are the type of runs I don't see Miami being able to do. They don't have the linemen that are that big, that fast. They don't play with a two-tight end or a H-back, full-back, tight end type of lineup. So, you know, theirs are more in the design of an of a UC running play. It's in a shotgun or it's a one-back set, maybe – a tight end to the power, but it's, you know, he's not some 6'5", you know, true 265 blocking tight end. He's more of a, you know, receiving receiving tight end. So, you know, I don't think those type of runs that hurt him are going to be there for them this week. I think the biggest challenge, Dave, is going to be the size. I mean, Gardner, you've got a six foot five, you know, big physical outside receiver that's got good hands and can make some plays going against, you know, Lyndon Stevens or Grant Coleman, the two guys on the outside uh, that are giving up, you know, five, six inches. Uh, so that's one, you know, that's one I'm going to have a, a close eye on. So, yeah, he's a he's a big, fast dude. I mean, for those that don't know, he was committed to D uh, for a little while, and then I don't know really what happened with that, but ended up committing and, and signed with Miami and he, he had a nice year last year and he seems to be building off of it this year. You know, then you look at them in the red zone and you, and you see uh, another, you know, bigger guy, Ryan Smith, tight end. Uh, he's got two touchdown catches, uh, seven catches for 98 yards, 14-yard average, uh, 23, you know, 23 is, is the long for him, but he's the guy that they're looking, you know, looking for down around the goal line to get the ball to. But I, I'm not as concerned with that because you've got guys like Tyrell Gilbert and Perry Young uh, that know how to make some plays in space and, and aren't afraid, you know, like we saw Perry, they're not afraid to go up against a bigger guy and, and knock the ball away. Yeah, I mean, that's – you either have the, the bigger who can body him up or you have the quicker, smaller guy who can, can stay with the tight end and you just hope that, you know, the pass isn't, you know, high and where they can't get to it. But both of those guys are super athletic. I mean, we saw, Gil, or saw Perry go stride for stride with the wide receiver from Michigan down the sideline and make a, you know, a big jumping backpedal type play to deflect the pass. And he rolled over and did one of his flipped things. So I think this is a game where we'll, we'll get an idea because it's not a gimmicky offense. Like, not that Austin Pease is gimmicky, but you don't just see – they have to do that out of necessity. Right. Uh, they didn't really throw the ball in what you would consider a traditional throwing play. Uh, and then Michigan has, you know, supreme talent. And that kind of won out as the game went on. So I think this is the first time we'll really see what we can expect for the rest of the season from the UC defense with, you know, the defensive line improving. We think we have using the linebackers you know, in the, the smaller guys, and then how the how the DBs have progressed. Switching over to that Miami defense, Dave, I just don't think we have a good feel for anything. I mean, 
yeah, the, you know, 109 yards a game on the ground, 159 yards uh, in the air. Um, but Marshall had the two kick returns. That skews things, you know, with, with two long returns like that. Um, and Austin P just, they weren't really interested in passing the football. So I think when you go into this game, you, you don't have a really good feel for what Miami does on defense. Hopefully that's a good thing for Cincinnati because they're still – trying to find an identity on the offensive end. They haven't been able to do that yet. Um, you know, you, you go into this game and you want to attack and and hopefully they can get some things opening up in the passing game because so far it has been a struggle. Uh, you know, you see when they played off we thought they should have done more. And I think Miami probably feels like they more. Um, you know, I did watch a little bit of Chuck Martin's the press conference, pretty much the whole third quarter offensively. And then advantage of the backup quarterback, he got some turnovers and, and, you know, made some plays in the fourth quarter to extend their lead. I don't think either team was probably super thrilled with how their offense was uh, against Austin P. So, you're, I mean, it's kind of hard to... Obviously, Cincinnati wants to run the football. Um, I think it's going to be interesting based off the press conference. I don't know if we're going to see Mike Boone a ton this week. If we see him at all, it might be a good chance to, you know, he turned an ankle, I think, at the end of the, the Michigan game. It might be a good chance to see what you've got with uh, with Jared Dokes and Mike Warren uh, for a full load for a game. And, you know, this this is a team that if they can't get any separation on the outside, their identity is going to have to be running the football to open that up. And I think they've got the guys to do it. This is a position where, you know, you have some of that top-end depth. And, you know, I don't think it would be a terrible thing if, you know, maybe they gave Mike Boone a rest and gave him a chance to heal up while the young guys got a chance to go out and do their thing. Yeah, we talked about depth, and this has kind of been one of the spots where there's a guy and you don't want to use your, your front line. But it it is a spot where they can afford second guy. I mean, we saw Dokes all summer. And it looked he looked really good. So sounds like Boone probably might miss the game, and you know you get to see what he has to offer. I think at best he's going to be limited. Be limited. Right. They just be limited. take the precautionary route and sit him. Not like it was anything. It was asking around. It was it was anything people it was overlook about. But it was if you get him a week and you know. And you didn't rush him back. You know, I don't think you go wrong way there. Uh, I think, um, we noticed Kyle Trout. I wouldn't expect to see Boone. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I, I think it's smart to hold him out. Uh, I think another thing is maybe we saw a, a bit of a transformation at right tackle. Kyle Trout saw quite a bit of action at the uh, second half of the Michigan game, so could see a move from him to Kendall Calhoun there and I, I will confirm that Ross Trail was out with the quarterbacks uh, on Tuesday uh, for the little bit of practice that I, that I got to take in he was uh, back in the action but Dave I mean the kid hasn't thrown a football in a month so yeah you want to maybe you know use him to push Hayden more a little bit and further the competition at the quarterback position but you got to be careful with the guy that is coming back from you know, an injury and not being able to throw for an entire month and, 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 you know, you throw him back out there. You don't want to offset that and have him, you know, 
slide again. Right. It's not like he's been going through various stages of press, but not a no in full go portion enough to go in a live game situation. He hasn't been allowed to throw the ball for over a month. How do you, how do you see this? Uh, you know, we're two games in. Obviously, didn't really love the the offense against Austin P. I thought there were moments against Michigan, but their I think their defensive line overwhelmed the offensive line for the for the most part. I mean, I thought the offensive line if, held if, their if, own if, as much as they could. Right, but if if you know if Hayden wasn't on the run or under pressure, his receivers were dropping the ball. So, I mean, his fifth, I think he finished 15 of 40, which obviously, no matter what's going on, that's, that's not bad. very good. Right. Um, but, you know, crap, how many of those 25 incompletions were just straight drops? Not even accounting for if they would have really gained anything or made any difference. It felt but, like there was at least five just, in the first half. Oh, there were, I mean, it felt like every time I turned around, there was one. Yeah. But I'm, just, I'm interested to see because I think what we've talked about, and Michigan's defense was really good, obviously. But And there were a couple times, they, you know, the two times that they did get open, he overthrew Cleolus once, Cleolus returned the favor, dropping the pass the next time. But there just hasn't been a lot of separation. We talked about that. So do you think, do you think this is, yeah, Mike Denbrock turning to more of a running offense this week, or do we still see the same slants and tunnel screens and the occasional shot down the field, even though he probably feels like he doesn't have the full playbook because so far through two games, guys just aren't getting open. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the primary storyline when we talked about what our concerns were with this team that's where everything rested. Yes, there are others, and there, but, but it all went back to the fact that there's just not a lot of separation and there's not a lot of playmaking ability. There's not a guy that takes the top off the defense consistently from the outside. And even, like, go back and look like those two Khalil Lewis plays, that's from the inside. That's not, right. that's not Khalil Lewis taking a guy and, and beating him over the, the top from the outside and making a safety help. That's it's, I mean, yeah. It's I mean, I, corner routes from the slot in one on one. Obviously, they don't have a guy like a John Ross at Washington last year, no. or like some. But there's been no nothing on the outside of a guy. Just we're just going to run a go, right? And he's going to beat the corner, and we're going to throw it out there, and we're going to see what happens. I mean, they haven't even attempted that. No, and let it, alone. And I think it's complete, because they, not even an attempt. It's because the guy can't get open. The guy can't get the separation. Right. For the quarterback to pull the trigger, and that's look. Devin Gray is not that guy. I think we're in agreement there, right? Like, no, I yeah, he's a solid, he's a solid guy. He's a you know a, a twenty yard and in guy. I think he runs really good routes. Uh, he he gets himself open, right. but he's not a he's not a go get it guy like Chris Moore was. Right, and that's not a knock on Devin Gray. That's just being honest about what I. Well, not everybody is right. Um, those guys go to the league, and those guys play in major conferences if they're that fast. But you have, you have, I think, three guys 
and, and maybe we'll start to see some more of Jaquay Savage, the Louisville grad transfer, uh, as the season unfolds. I think they are still trying to get him completely up to speed and get him to a, to a point where they, you know, they trust him to go out there in big situations. Um, but you've got Thomas Geddes, you've got Jerome Rollins, and you've got J.J. Pickney. One of those guys or some combination of those guys have got to be able to prove that they can stretch the field. That's, that's what those guys are here for, and they haven't been able to do it to this point. And I'm sure it's been frustrating for the offensive staff because physically you look at those guys, they have the tools to do it, um, but the separation just hasn't been there. The ability to create space uh, has been a struggle, and then the ability to make a play on the football when it's in the air um, has not been great. So, well, Rollins and Geddes both did it at Tulsa last year on several plays. Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder what that said about Tulsa's secondary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it very, very well could. Um, but, you know, and I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, if it's not working, yes, you have dudes. Put them in there and see what happens. Like, Mar- right. I think Marcel Paul's another one. Malik Mudge. That that played well, I thought, in the spring. He flashed a lot. You were writing about him a lot. He made plays in in the uh, in fall camp. And obviously, once you get into the season, you're not running that many plays, and you're not, you know, your your rotation is a little more limited. But you know, if if the guys you're putting out there aren't getting the job done, other guys should be given an opportunity, right? Yes. Maybe they can't do it either, but I think you need to at least find out. Right. And I do think I do think the offense needs to take those shots just to see. I mean, to not even try up with the outside guys. I can understand against Michigan, maybe you felt like you didn't have enough time. They didn't. Uh, just to set that play up. But to not even try one of the uh, – several of them. I'd have been chucking it all over Austin P. just to see what I got. Yeah. And maybe they and wanted to they, keep they haven't, this. They haven't, done, they haven't made those looks at all. No. And, I, you know, very easily Austin P could have game with a game where they were not, I don't want to say holding back, but you weren't seeing the entire playbook. And Michigan, as you mentioned, there were problems. So I think this game is telling. If we go through 60 minutes in Oxford and there's no passes over 20 yards to those guys on the outside, I think we can start drawing a stronger conclusion on that, right? Right, that they just don't feel like anybody can do it, so they're not even going to try. So, let me ask, Dave. I'm sure you'll be animated about this. Okay. Where does Vegas start the line? At Miami is a seven and a half point favorite, and it's been bet down to five and a half. But I'm a little bit confused on the thought process on that that line. Uh, as someone who has partaken in a wager a time or two, yes, I do not over the so years. That's why I am deferring to your expertise. I I don't really understand it. Um, I know you, you typically, and I don't. And this is something I've always heard. I don't know what the truth to it or if it, it's changed. You typically get three for being at home, regardless of how well your home is. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, 
I think anybody that watched UC play Michigan probably felt they played an overall better game than they did against Austin P. And maybe, maybe Vegas just looks at it as they both played the same team. They both played them at home. Miami was more dominant. Miami went on the road, you know, barely lost to Marshall. You know, UC went to Michigan and was in it, but then, you know, ended up losing by 22. I don't, I honestly don't know. I'm not necessarily surprised that they are favored. I mean, that doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. Um, but to open it like a touchdown was interesting. And it, I've seen it go all the way down to four and a half, and then it jumps back up five and a half and then five. And I mean, I, I don't really know. I don't think it matters. I don't, I don't think it's accurate. Um, but that's just maybe me being a bit of a homer. I still don't think that that they're on the same level uh as you see even with our you know, issues over the last several seasons and they've been building up and we maybe have been falling back a little bit. So I, I don't yeah. I don't know what's up with that. It just seems like such an odd line. I well, it seems like a it seems it's, like yeah, a sucker bet, bet but yeah. yet it's but it's not but it's not moving. I know. I mean, it is it is only Wednesday. Who knows? But it's uh, it's it's interesting to say the least. I guess the other big Miami news of the week was announced: the uh, change yeah. in the schedule. Dating all the way to what twenty twenty nine. Yeah, this is interesting. I, I, one thing I do like the uh, this was kind of uh, I don't know if it was necessarily all the way ready to be announced this week, but Miami wanted it out this week so that this week looked like it was included in their number. <laughs> so that the twenty seventeen game, even though it's not part really? of yeah the additional games being added to the schedule now was part of the news release to make it feel like that, oh, yeah, we're getting another game in Oxford. No, this was always going to be in Oxford. Yeah. The first game of the new deal is next year when it should have been at UC and it's at Paul Brown. Correct. But they wanted this out this week so that they got that little bump. If it would have come out next week, they wouldn't have got that bump, and it would have, at least on paper to their fan base, looked much worse, and all 43 of them would have been really upset. Right. So this is something you and I had actually known about for a little while. Yes. And uh, we knew, and you and I had discussed that I've always, you know, and our readers and listeners have always known, I wanted to get, I want to get rid of the theory. I don't care if it's been close to the last three or four years. I don't want to play them anymore. And it was strictly because of the arrangement of the series that they are, UC is the only team in the country that, you know, for whatever term you want to use, was Power 5, fancies themselves as Power 5, that plays a continuous home and home series with a G5 school. 
only team in the country. Correct. True home and home. I think Colorado State and Colorado, now that Colorado State is has their new stadium, they I want to say they maybe are going to that, but they would play in Denver a lot of the time. At the at the Broncos Stadium, right. So, uh, and that was why I didn't think it was a good deal because Miami would put it in their season ticket package. They would jack the price of that game up compared to all the other games, knowing that UC only had a certain allotment to sell. They would sell those, and a bunch of UC fans would buy tickets through Miami. And we travel there. It does. It's never on TV. It does nothing for recruiting. Yes, it's local, and but UC and Miami aren't recruiting the same player, at least not anymore. They maybe were the last three or four years on a couple of occasions. They weren't when UC was in the Big East, and they're not now that Luke Fickles and his staff is here. So to me, it was a pointless game. I was all for if they want to play a three-year deal, two at UC, one in Miami, okay, and then maybe UC plays OU, maybe they play Toledo, maybe they play Bowling Green. I was cool with that because I think they should play teams from Ohio because I also think it's crap that when Ohio State, you know, doesn't do that or especially doesn't do it in basketball, doesn't do it in football, only you only come here, things like that. Like, you can't, you can't say you hate that, but then also, like, be that person or that program to the school below you. Sure. And do sure the same can. thing. Sure you can. Well, you can, but but it's I think it it serves them better yeah. to do to be that type of a partner, but yeah. not in the sense that the current uh contract was set up. So limiting the trips to Oxford I'm hundred percent behind. And you know, I don't know if we'll ever get the true, true details. I mean, what is it? We believe that when you're the host at Paul Brown Stadium, it's basically whatever you sell, you get. Is that accurate? Some things have changed. Make the profit on your allotment. So the allotment will obviously be a lot higher for whoever the visiting team is. Yeah, you know, UC gets X amount of tickets going to Oxford, but they're not going to get that same number. No, God no. At Paul Brown, obviously going to sell way more tickets. I mean, the last time the game was there, they had forty-two thousand people, and Miami was awful. Right. So. I mean, I think you're looking at a similar situation. And I know that people always talk about UC fans not wanting to go to Oxford, but you know who else doesn't want to go to Oxford? Miami, Miami grads that live in Cincinnati. And apparently they're so, 27. Yeah, I heard that today. I'm going to have to let my chauffeur know that for Saturday, that we'll be leaving earlier than expected. I, I Unfortunately, I'm not going to make it because I have a family obligation that literally could not be farther from Oxford. Like, <laughs> I have somewhere to be at four o'clock on Saturday, and I will be closer to Huntington West than I will Westing Tuckahoe. Well, hopefully they have. They're certainly not going to have Channel Nineteen there. No, no, no. Oh, they do. It's only thirty. It's only minimum house. It's only 
So I'm. I, part of me still doesn't like this never signed for that long, but I know you can get out of this thing if something crazy happens. And say, for instance, yeah, three trips. Was it six trips? Six home games. Three three games at Paul Brown. And games at Oxford. Twelve games. And half of them are, you know, on campus. And then a third of them are at a stadium where we'll have, you know, whatever, 75, 85, 90. So. I think the previous editions, previous I would definitely agree with that. I think they're totally understanding the financial issues that are facing them uh, in the AAC with the TV, the way it is, and to bring as much in their control as possible, whether it's football, basketball, otherwise. You have to be self-defend this on fish game tish game function is a game function. Not to be the game function. It just it just a thirty dollar chip thirty on thirty on Well I think it's well part of the you know, part of the when I I appreciate everybody's responses. We got a lot of them the other day, just put out on Twitter account, you know. What is your reaction to this? And for the for the vast majority people liked it. They liked the fact that we weren't going to Oxford every other year, and uh, but we've got some. We shouldn't play them. We should schedule West Virginia, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, Kentucky, Louisville, and I'm just. I don't know how many times we have to talk about it. They don't have to schedule UC. You know they their conferences are moving to nine conference games. Most of them are going to play that tune-up game, you know, because it's just beneficial to you from a right. X's and O's standpoint what? and from a financial what? standpoint. What? What? And a lot of them have, yeah, a lot of them have intra-conference rivals, whether it's like a UK, Louisville, you know, uh, Florida, Florida. Uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, right. Virginia and and why are they gonna? I mean, they have you know a lot of these teams are right. A lot of these teams are getting good money now, but you're gonna give a Mac or a Sun Belt team five hundred grand to come to your place. UC is not accepting that. They're not doing a one-off game at West Virginia for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Gonna wait four more. Gonna million. And Metrogy is not going to do that because there's a much greater chance they lose that game and pay one point whatever, just like Virginia Tech did when we went to FedEx Field and got a boatload of money and won. Um, they're just not going to do that. 
And UC shouldn't do that, in my opinion, more than the very few select times. If, like in the Michigan case, or if a high-level SEC or ACC team wants a one-off for a million or 1.2, sure. But you make that a habit of accepting those good luck getting home and homes. Yeah, because they're just going to say you're a buy team now. Yeah, they're going to say, well, you've now done a one-off at, we'll just use random schools, Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State, whoever. Why are we going to do a home-and-home with you? We'll just do what we, we want, what they've done. Right. So, you know, you can't get into that, you know, selling yourself, so to speak, so much that you push away any chances because they've got fairly good home and homes uh, lined up over the next several years. So it is a, a little bit of a balancing act. I mean, I'm I used to be really against that, but with the conference situation, hey, if somebody wants to give you one point two, one point four million bucks, you, you, there's no way you can turn that down. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, considering my that three hours of a game is a thir- a fourth, a little over a quarter of what they're making in a year from their television contract in football and basketball combined. Right, they're making four million bucks. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered most everything. What's your uh, what's your prediction for Oxford? What did I say in my season preview? If they didn't beat us last year, they ain't beat us this year. <laughs> All right. I, I agree. I'm going with the Bearcats. Do you, do you have any hoops news you'd like to report? I know you were at practice um, recently. You know, it was, I was at Open Gym, which... What, yeah, whatever it's called at this point. I mean, I covered most of it in the in the thread. Uh, it was oh, okay. It was fun watching Keith Williams and... Trevor Moore kind of go back and forth at each other. Both were playing really well. Both were letting each other know that that, that one another were playing very well. Um, that was pretty fun between the two of them. Um, other than that, I mean, they, they look how I expect them to look right now. It's competitive. There's depth. Guys are pushing each other. Um, the only, you know, if I had one thing that I would say that I kind of worry about a little bit is – yeah, you know, who's going to be the 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 vocal leader of that starting five? You know, it, it, I would you'd like to think that Kane quickly develops into that role, but he has to develop into it. Jaron's quiet. Jacob Evans Jake's is quiet. quiet. Gary Clark's quiet. Gary doesn't talk. Kyle doesn't shut up. Kyle's not Kyle's not quiet, but I don't know if you necessarily want him being your vocal leader. Right. <laughs> So that's that's one area that you know I look at that that starting unit and I'm curious as to how exactly that's going to play out. But other than that, I mean, I, I really like what I've seen from Nizir Brooks and from Trey Scott. I think they're going to really push you know that front court to be a lot better. Um, just it, it, it's going to be a fun team to watch. It's going to be a fun season. I agree, and the. Uh... For those that haven't seen, some of the schedule seems to start to have leaked out based on TV. Should be TV. Out tomorrow so, or Friday. Thinking tomorrow or Friday, 
I know it's it's a little more difficult for this league when half of your teams share their arenas with the, the circus or you know some gun and knife show, uh, you know stuff like that. So their schedule always seems to come out later than everybody else's, but oh. it should uh, should be out by the end of the week. I will be very, just a totally random thought. Going off of what Houston has had for attendance the last couple seasons, even though they've actually been pretty good, I cannot wait to see their games with either at, I think it's Texas Southern and the Rockets Arena. Plenty of good seats still available. I mean, will there be 500 people at some Houston Prairie View A&M game at Texas Southern High School-esque arena? Yeah. (laughs) That's not going to be good, brother. No, as it sounds like right now, there are very, very few seats available at beautiful BB&T Arena for the 2017-18 Cincinnati Bearcats season. Not surprising. No. I knew that. I knew it was going to happen. Well, ever, like, initially, a bunch of people complain and that they're going over there and, oh, my God, it's so far away. And then as the season rolls around and they realize, holy shit, this team is probably going to be really good, uh, you're going to stay home and not go to the games because it's, like, ten minutes further when the team should be awesome? That's, that's going to be your reason? And the arena is fantastic. Right, but I mean, I can understand if they were going to suck. I wouldn't go. Yeah, but I'm you know, saying, I'm like, still, it's a, I would it's still a, go because I go to all the games. It's a great place to watch but a game. But don't complain about where the games are at when you know you're going to go because the team's going to be really good and hopefully a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I think they're going to be all right. I think it's going to work itself yeah, out just Yeah, I mean, fine. they've pretty much sold every quote-unquote good seat, even though they're pretty much all good seats. Everything that I can tell is, is pretty much gone. I mean, we have our seat-counting degenerates on the website that claim there's like 1,800 actual seats available for season tickets. So, hey, if you if you want a season ticket, you better act fast. Yeah. All right, well, you enjoy your time in Oxford? I always do. <laughs> well, what's the over-under this such a, week? Nine, such a dump. Nine and a half, ten? Well, if we're, if we're going to have to get there a little early because of traffic, traffic yeah. and it's going to be sunny and in the mid-80s after we've had the... You're going to you be know, thirsty. Six, I'm going to be really thirsty. But now, it's I think it's just me and my mom, so there, I don't think there'll be jello shots. So we're, we're beer only this weekend. I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go nine and a half. I'll take the over. I might have, I might take the over two because they don't serve alcohol at Muyu. Ooh, yeah. Might want to try to wear some cargo shorts or something. I think you could just walk right in with it there. It's not really like a <laughs> sophisticated place. <laughs> very true. Very true. All right, David. But yeah. So let's get the. Forward uh, to it as always. Let's let's get the another victory bell. Victory bell, twelve in a row. 
and we'll uh, reconvene next week to talk about the Navy midshipmen. Yes, I'll really, really study up on my triple option, my uh, you're gonna, my B-back. You're going to need to know your keys and your reads next week when we do the podcast. My B-back, that is the fullback for those uneducated. The B-back is the fullback in the triple option offense. We will be coming to you for a full two tutorial. <laughs> All right, man. He's David Simone. I'm Sounds Dan good. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm a little concerned here. Somehow two, somehow two minutes disappeared. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where. But where? <laughs> I, I don't know. I know the call is at 52 minutes and the recording is at 50 minutes. Well, the, we didn't start the recording for. No, it starts as soon five, as. No, it starts the actual oh, physical. You yeah, it starts as soon as we talk. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't, there's two minutes well, that's missing somewhere somehow. Well, I'm sure it was our in-depth analysis of Miami's vaunted four-three defense or something. Yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about it, but <laughs> I clicked it back up with like 38 minutes, and it was like. Phone, 38 minutes. Recording, 36 minutes. Uh, well, I don't know. They're going to miss two minutes somewhere. Oh, well. Oh, well. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you.